Unaccountable Originals presents DJ Drama's Gangster Grills Podcast. The following contains language and content some may find offensive. I remember saying King of the South in it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of like, oh, hey, look, hey, you sure you want to say that? You sure you, you you heard what you said? I said, yeah, I know what I said. I meant to say it. You was like, oh, basically like backing up, kind of like, oh, I'm dealing with a madman. Okay, this nigga suicidal. <laughs> This one is going to be fun. (laughs) I'm sitting across from a great friend, a good brother, and an extraordinary businessman. One of the most talented MCs, T.I.P. I I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, I want to start this by saying with the craziest thing, and I, I talk about this all the time, is that I'll never forget getting a, a random phone call from Jason Jeter and him saying, I got your number off the of back of a mixtape in the barbershop. Mm. And I have this new artist to do a freestyle for you. Mm. And I was like, cool, okay. Mind you, that was the first phone call of that sort that I had ever gotten. Word. Nobody had ever called me to do that. <laughs> so I think about I didn't know that. That's the first that's the I thought f- like that was like that was your thing. Bro, never and it turned out to be you. That random phone call was the beginning of a relationship that would lead to T.I.'s first Gangsta Girls mixtape. Gangsta Girls meets T.I. and PSC, his group. That tape dropped in 2003, followed by Gangsta Girls Down With The King in 2004, Gangsta Girls The Leak in 2006, and Gangsta Girls Fuck A Mixtape in 2010. Damn. You know, when you tell you, you tell that story, that shit sound so much like destiny. It definitely is destiny. Yeah. Tell the story how you remember it from our first introduction. <laughs> you come into the to the crib, Glen Iris, my yeah. humble abode. So, so 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 you were living in in, in Fourth Ward. Yeah, old like, Fourth Ward. Old Fourth Ward. Not new Fourth Ward. Old Fourth Ward. You were living in Fourth Ward. You had a house. <laughs> it was it was, you know. It's a fucking shack. But <laughs> It had good bones. Hell <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, it was pre-gentrification, you know what I'm saying? So it was a glorified trap house. But it was spacious. It was spacious. It had hardwood flow <laughs> throughout, you feel me? Uh and it was, you know, centrally located in the city. So we would go in and you kind of like, you know, we had some conversations. Yeah. I tell you where I'm from. Yeah. And Do you remember uh, the beat? I don't. It was a mill for the fan beat. The Rockefeller. Yes. Okay, okay. Yep. And I remember saying King of the South in it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of like, oh, hey, look, hey, you sure you want to say that? <laughs> you sure you want you you heard what you said? I said, yeah, I know what I said. I meant to say it. You was like, oh, basically like backing up, kind of like, this nigga crazy. I told Sense that when you left. <laughs> I said, yo, this nigga just said he's the key. This nigga's tripping. 
Hey man, I but that was your body language. We're like, oh, I'm dealing with a madman. Okay, this nigga suicidal. You know that kind of that's the that's them them were the vibes you were putting off. Uh, but you were still respectful and polite. You were like, but the shit dope. Yeah, you know, it was, it was dope. like yeah, it's dope. Come front. I'm serious. Comes out. Yeah, it doesn't do what you think it's gonna do. Right, but there were records on I'm Serious that were translating and were big records in Atlanta and in the Southeast. Correct. Off that album. In 2001, two years before our first collaboration, T.I. dropped his debut album, I'm Serious. The project featured production from the Neptunes, Jazzy Faye, and Little John, as well as appearances from Beanie Man, Pharrell, and Too Short. I'm Serious peaked at number 98 on the Billboard 200 below T.I. and his label's expectations. But he didn't let that stop him. Everywhere we went, when people heard it, they just responded to it. They treated it like it was some shit they had never heard before, you know? But every time we gave it to them, it was like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But once they took the time to listen, you know, whether we played it in their face or whether, like, we go to cities early, Go to the mall on a Saturday, pass out. You remember those uh, for promotional use only CDs? Of course. With the little holes stepped in them. And we just started passing them out. At first, we were giving them away. Then, motherfuckers started asking us, could they buy them? Okay. And we started selling them. Got you. And we'll get little shows and shit. And when we get a little show on a Saturday night, we'll go early, hit the mall, pass out our CD. And by the time we get to the actual show, Motherfuckers is singing the words. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, we got some. Uh-huh. We just got to keep putting it in their fate. Uh-huh. And so that's what we did. You know, we just wanted to make sure that every week we were hidden somewhere else. And it started that we will travel an hour away, two hours away. Uh, then we started, like, you know, getting phone calls. Like, by the third, fourth week, we were getting calls. It was the the program director of the, the station that were calling. Uh-huh. So we took the songs that everybody were responding to off of I'm Serious and added new songs to it, made our own mixtape. The freestyle you actually did for me originally Mm -hmm. was before I came up with Gangsta Grills. Okay. When I started coming around the studio and I realized that you didn't necessarily have a DJ DJ, I was like, oh... I know what I need to do. (laughs) I need to figure out a way to be this guy's DJ because he's going places. It behooved us both. Gangsta Girl 6 took off because it had every hot song that was out at the time. One of those being Never Scared, Mm. which was a big moment for you. Gangsta Girl 6 was a compilation mixtape I released in 2003. Featuring all the hottest artists in the South. Lil Flip, UGK, 3-6 Mafia, David Banner, Ludacris, and one from New York, 50 Cent. The tape also featured one newcomer, Bone Crusher, and his smash hit, Never Scared. Never Scared was, you know, kind of like one of the first times I was invited by my peers and constituents when I went in there, I was sick, bro. I was sick of hell. Like, you know, I guess I had the flu or something like that. And coincidentally, the same time I was sick, the same flu, 
me and Tamika were just starting to talk and whatnot, right? Uh-huh. She kicked me out her house. <laughs> sick as a dog. I'm sweating, got a fever and everything. She's like, yeah, well, you got to go. And I went to go do Never Scared. Never scared. Uh-huh. So if you hear my voice on Never Scared and it sounds like it's a little raspy, it's like, well, it sounds a little more grungy. It wasn't on purpose. I just had to, I was losing my voice. I had to create a voice to do it. What do you feel that song did for you at that time and space in your career? Man, it literally put me amongst giants. <laughs> uh, Bone Crusher and Killer Mike and that little skinny nigga right here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, but nah, bro, it, it introduced me to the world and introduced the world to me yeah. uh, in a, in a, by a certain dynamic. The series of events is uh, the PSC, T-I-P-S-C in the streets, mixtapes came out. Mm-hmm. At this point, we moving around quite regularly, you know, doing maybe four shows a week, you know, getting about 20, 25,000 a show. And I remember, I never forget, we was just like trying to think what we, what we want to do. You know what I mean? What's next, right? And we was in Miami. Jason got the call from L.A. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yo, I want to meet with y'all. I'm like, all right. L.A. Reed started in the music industry, a drummer in a funk band. He later became a founder of LaFace, an exec at Arista and Def Jam, a titan in the music industry. L.A. Reed has spotted and signed some of the biggest acts in history. Check this out. Usher, TLC, Outkast, and Rihanna. We drove from Miami to New York to meet L.A. After we met L.A., drove to Detroit. But that meeting, you know, L.A. was like, yo, I've been hearing a lot about what you got going, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, um, you know, I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. And I want to start on the second album. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. first of all, I want to shoot a video to Pussy Pumper number one. That was my thing. And I say, and as far as the next album goes, I would like a joint venture, 50-50 net profits, I would like $2 million budget so we can continue to operate the way we have been that we would administer. Or you could just let us go. <laughs> and so right then, L.A. say, I understand. I understand exactly what you can respect where you're coming from. I tell you what, let's have lunch and then we'll come back. At this point, I was thinking that we were going to have to say, man, we get to go eat lunch with L.A. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to have lunch. You go have lunch. <laughs> then we come back. Mm. But we came back. It was Mark Pitts, I believe, that let us back in like, yo, you're going to be happy with this. Uh-huh. I'm thinking. <clears throat> so we get in there. He's like, yeah, okay, so I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> but however, that was the greatest thing he could have ever did. Yeah. Because we already had 24 in heavy rotation uh-huh. everywhere in the South. Yeah. We was on fire. Yeah. I walked into my lawyer's office, Jonathan Leonard, and Mike Karen was in there. Okay. Mike Karen, you know, being an AR at Atlantic yep. or a consultant. Just I, happened to be in just there. Just happened to be there. Okay. The same day I was signing my release paper. Mm-hmm. And Mike Karen said, Hey, are you the guy T.I.? Mm-hmm. He said, You still on Arista? And Jonathan's like, Nope, signing the release papers right now. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, Man, I would love to like sign you to Atlantic. I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, just super arrogant and not knowing who this guy is. I'm like, all right, yeah, well, look, man, who's the guy over there that would be the decision maker that mm-hmm. would say yay or nay? Say, oh, that would be Craig Kevin. I say, yeah, 
bring me to him. Mm -hmm. We don't do middlemen. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I was just like really popping my shit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. You know, that that just led to a whole a slew of interest from all the labels, whether it was Universal, Def Jam, Columbia, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Just Puff everybody. trying to sign you too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and ultimately, we decided Atlantic Record was the place for us because we felt that they needed us as much as we needed them. Uh -huh. You know, I bet you don't remember the first show I did. Hell no, <laughs> hell no, I don't. Tell me, it was Birthday Bash, the Leprechaun suit. What? Which then led to our Down with the King, Gangster Grills. Yeah, which is known as as one of the classics. Tell me about how you came up with the name. Down with the King? Yeah. I mean, it was probably the Run DMC song. Mm. Yeah, it was probably the Run DMC song. And, and and that was what all of the hoopla was about. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole discrepancy between uh, Flip and I was because he didn't feel that I deserved to call myself the King. He felt like Scarface was, uh, which I feel I concur. Of all the people who took offense to T.I. calling himself the king of the South, no one was more vocal than Houston's artist, Little Flip. Flip allegedly dissed T.I. during a concert in Atlanta, setting off months of the two artists taking shots at each other before the beef was eventually squashed. However, what he didn't know is I had already spoken to Scarface. Mm -hmm. And so I spoke to Scarface again on the Down with the King and like, you know, kind of reiterated what I had already, the conversation we'd already had, you know, which was kind of anointing me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of ushered me into a light that a lot of people didn't like to see me standing in, anointing or not, mm -hmm. you know. For me, Down with the King was to that point the biggest gangster grills I had ever done. Mm. And attention wise, it was that moment, that brink moment where, you know, I remember even being at the the crib we were recording at. It was the first time I met Pharrell. Mm. He even has a, a skit on was the tape. Was that the day day? Which day? The day where we, we had a, no man. Yes. Man. It was that day? That day. Whew. Okay, so what we talking about is, okay, so, you know, I was locked up for a probation violation that came from a raid in my house. It was a pistol at the house that my security claimed, but they used that particular potential of a charge to call me in and uh, ask me if I'd ever heard of somebody named Big Meech. Demetrius Flannery, a.k.a. Big Meech, was one of the founders, along with his brother Terry Lee Flannery, a.k.a. Southwest T, of the BMF, or Black Mafia Family. BMF was an Atlanta-based drug ring deeply intertwined with the city's hip-hop and nightlife scene. The group spent money like they were the ones printing it. And they basically were, reportedly generating $270 million in profits. Their extravagant lifestyle served as a backdrop for classic mixtapes like T.I.'s Down With The King. Wow. Like, man, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. What is BMF? Mm-hmm. You tell me. <laughs> you want to count me in here. Well, does your probation officer know that you have guns under your bed, I said, man, do what you got to do. So I made bond, and they told my probation officer, and I went to jail. Now, when I went to jail, the probation violation was in Cobb County. In Cobb County, they had like a work release program. Yeah. Where you could, 
you know, still serve your time and then get out and go work. Yeah. My job uh-huh. was music. Yeah. So I check out and go to the studio, uh-huh. which the studio at the time was my old lady house. Uh-huh. So I go in there, let me drive all the way out to her house and go to the studio. They got hip to that after the first time they came and looked around. They're like, oh, hell no. Nah. nah, man, you got to find another studio to work at. So I found find a studio it. that was closer. We found out it was a house somewhere. It right? was a house yeah. up, up in Cobb County. Yeah. But while I was serving my probation violation, subsequently, he had also had ran into, you know, much more trouble mm-hmm. with having the double homicide that he was, you know, fighting. Mm-hmm. So while I was serving my time for my probation violation, he was locked up fighting that case. And it just so happened that right when I got to go and get on on my work release, he was being exonerated um, for the double homicide. Big Meats faced double homicide charges over a November 2003 incident that left two dead. Meats claimed self-defense, and the charges were dropped. And the first thing he said was, man, you know we got to go to Magic City. You know we got, I say, bro, I am still in jail, okay? I got work relief. I could go and work, you know, I, but I can't come to Magic City. And he was like, well, where you working? I was like, man, I'm working at this, man, at this house with a studio in it. Where is that? <laughs> man, it's in Cobb County, bro. You do not want to come here. He was like, man, send me the address. So I sent him the address, and I think maybe two or three days later, there were just when the magnums that just came out. Man, it was like 17, 18 magnums coming down the street of this residential cul-de-sac in Cobb County, and Pharrell already got a tour bus out here. Mm-hmm. So on top of this tour bus, now we have 17, 18 cars, all full of strippers <laughs> and BMF members. <laughs> and these people could come check on me anytime. <laughs> I have to report back to fucking jail. Man, and then a the nigga called me. I told you, if you can't come to Magic City, I'm going to bring Magic City to you. I'll never forget what you did. I say, bro, thanks. <laughs> if they would have came and seen what oh was my going God. on. Man, I wasn't supposed to be around no liquor, no weed, no felons, no, no nothing that was there. I wasn't supposed to be around none of that shit. You know what I'm saying? And, man... That was a, that it was a hell of a time. A, that was a hell of a I'd time. I never seen nothing like that up to that point in my life. Yeah, that was a hell of a time. I mean, it had to be 75 to 100 people in there. Yeah. And this is a very modest house. Yeah. It's not like a mansion. And we had 75 people and probably 50 strippers and 25 niggas. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> you know the song we did? Which one? For real, the for real, she freak a freak though. though. Oh, we she did, a freak though. That's what we did. She a freak though. though. So anybody wondering yeah. how she a freak though came out happened. like it did. Yeah, that was the day we recorded. She a freak though. That's how it happened. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Urban legend then comes out, and the criticisms of you being the king I feel like therefore stopped, and it was mm. your anointment happened. Mm. Bring them out. Yeah became your biggest record uh, to to that point. When did you decide or how did acting come about in your career? Man, it was, um, 
it was a definitive intention. I knew that the natural progression yeah. or the proper evolution of being a successful rapper was to evolve into other areas of business, primarily, but you know, not limited to film and television. Just by the 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 groundwork or the blueprint that had been introduced by Tupac, Ice Cube, Ice T, mm-hmm. LL Cool J. Queen Latifah, mm, well. so on and so forth. So I just always had a definitive intention to get into the movie business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was introduced to Dallas Austin. And okay. I knew Dallas Austin. I heard the name. You know, I knew his songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, never had really, really met him. And I got a chance to meet him and kick it around him, and you know, through KP, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, I was learning that he was, you know, doing movies now. Mm-hmm. He was working on a movie. Drumline. He was on Drumline. Yeah, KP was telling him, hey, man, you should let my guy, man, you should let my guy, he next. Yeah. Let him, you know, go in and read for the, you know, for the, uh, for the film. And he did. And I went and I read and, you know, I gave him, you know, the line. They was like, yo, can you play the drums? Like, no, but I can play like Mm -hmm. I can play the Mm -hmm. drums. They were like, nah, you probably gonna have to learn how to play the drum. I was like, man, yeah, you got me, bro. So it went to some nobody named Nick Cannon. And so, you know, (laughs) from there, so from there, um, but he actually learned how to play the drum. He was committed. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? He dove into it. But from there, my relationship with Dallas, as it grew and strengthened, and my my career grew and strengthened, he was working on his next movie. Mm -hmm. It was called Jelly Beans. It Mm -hmm. was about a skating rink, Mm -hmm. a legendary skating rink in the SWATs. And he was telling me about it. I was like, all right, cool. But look, this time, I ain't reading for nothing. Jake, give me the part. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, all right, man, when it's ready, I will. So the first three days of the film, and I'm late. And I'm talking 30 minutes, 40 minutes late. In my defense, I had just got a $5 million check <laughs> and a $10 million check. And I just got my first phantom. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I just got off probation. So I'm smoking again, blowing weed all out the sunroof of the Rolls Royce. Happy. And everybody like, nigga, you is 45 minutes late. Where have you been? And I just didn't understand the dynamics yeah, of, of working on business. a film right. versus yeah. working. If I'm 45 minutes late at the studio, yeah. that's a good day. You know what I mean? So I just didn't understand the dire need to be there on time, Mm -hmm. early if possible. Uh, So three days straight of that, and they were like, yo, they going to fire you. I'm like, so? Fuck them. I got pulled into a room. Charlie Mack, Chris Robertson, and uh, my agent at the time pulled me into a room. And it was like, yo, we're going to fire you. I'm like, so? I don't care. And I kind of wanted to get fired anyway, so I could go spend this money. <laughs> and and uh, so so Charlie Matt was on some, yo, man, you're really good at this. Yeah, You could really, really have a career. You could really be a, one of the real ones at this. Like, yeah, 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 all right, cool. But Chris Robinson said something to me that resonated. He said, uh, bro, you're a first-time actor. It's other first-time actors here. I'm a first-time director. We are all black cast. Like, we depending on you. If they fire you, the film probably not going to get made. Mm. So that means everybody who has this opportunity loses it. Yeah. And we understand that you got bigger, better things to do, but this is, like, the biggest thing that some of us have going on. So 
we depending on you as a leader. If you fail, we fail. I'm like, damn, since you put it like that, <laughs> you know, and I just felt a immediate sense of responsibility at that point. I got to do this shit because these other guys are depending on me. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we had gone through eight weeks of skate training and mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. shit. And we did all that for nothing at this point. I'd be like, big dick, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> a big old, like just a big dickhead, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, all right, man. There's a, there's a picture from the studio, if, if I'm not mistaken, of you, Kanye, Kobe Bryant? Me, Killer Mike, and Kobe. You, Killer Mike, and Kobe. Yeah, yeah. That was just a random day, man. The Lakers were playing the Hawks. And um, G. Roberson, who was my A&R or manager at the time, I don't remember. And he was like, yo, Kobe's in town. You want to come back? Shit, I right, yeah, yeah. And when Kobe came, you know, I ain't really had much experience meeting Kobe in, like, real intimate settings. But... Me being the person I am, first thing I said, man, good to meet you, man. Look, man, don't take the air with the personal tomorrow. Because <laughs> I was, I was, you know, I, I'm a LeBron fan. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like I'm, you know, I'm team, I'm team LeBron. However, I, I'll, you can't not acknowledge and respect the tenacious, passionate work ethic that comes with Kobe Bryant. I'm going to tell you what I mean. We stayed in there playing records. Me and Killer Mike, we smoking. And Kobe's in the 11. You know, he just like just enjoying the vibe. I could just kind of see him looking around like, yeah, man, this is all right. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think it might have been about 2 a.m. Now, it was probably a little early. It was probably about 1231. And me and Killer Mike were like, well, we finna go hit Magic, man. You wanna come with us? Like, nah, bro. Finna go to the gym. <laughs> wow. Say what? <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, you finna go to the gym now? <laughs> and, you know, that that's when I truly learned to respect the work ethic of the Black Mamba. Because I knew he was buzzing. Yeah. And I knew that he was already vibing. Like, you know, when you build that mm-hmm. energy up, everybody mm-hmm. high-five and you hear the records and it's all that, you know, that energy in the room. To take that energy to the gym mm-hmm. is crazy. <laughs> Outside of our work, do you have a favorite Gangster Grills? Hmm. Let me see. It's kind of divided between dedication and trap or death. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those are the ones that I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. Should have did that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but uh, also I think, you know. I mean, that's the trifecta when I think about it. Like, Down with the King, Dedication, and Trap or Die. You know, I think it's probably split between neck and neck, Trap or Die, Dedication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Hip Hop is turning 50 this year. Mm. Billboard just put a list out. Uh-huh. Top 50 rappers. Right. And I know we these lists always come out, I think. Yeah. When did they have you at number 32? Mm. Top 10, Jay-Z, Kendrick, Nas, Tupac, Eminem, Biggie, Lil Wayne, Drake, Snoop, Nicki, mm-hmm. Kanye, Andre. Do you pay attention to these lists? Well, kind of, but not self-gratuitously. From what you just said to me, what stuck out to me is, why isn't Wayne up higher? Yeah, I think that's been everybody's. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. was stuck out to me. 
I don't think about myself when it comes to them lists. Yeah. Again, for me to be on the same list as the people whose albums I used to buy and wait on their videos to come on, be on the same list as them in the same company as, you know, DMX, uh, Jay, Nas, Scarface, Wayne, you know what I mean? Like LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. All these people, Andre 3000, but like all these people you got me on amongst these why? Man, it makes the child in me, the kid that was longing to be in a position, it makes him smile. So I ain't tripping. I feel like for me to be complaining about where I am on the list, that 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 kind of takes away from the moment. Um, would you ever do another Gangster Girls? Yeah, sure. Why not? I would love to do it, bro. Yeah. I love to, you know, now that you mentioned it, I just really, bro, I just love the game. Yeah. You feel me? I love to record. I love to go in there and do dope shit. The act or the, the process of putting that shit out and all that shit, who play it, who don't play it, whether it's on the record, the, what charts and all that shit. I don't yeah. enjoy that much. Yeah, I don't I mean, like. You don't have to worry about. It. You're at a point in your career where I, sure, if I unless I volunteer myself, yeah, to worry about it. I just don't like searching for or seeking other people's validations. Like for someone to say, "Oh yes, this is good enough for this." Oh yes, I think the people would enjoy that. You don't know what the fuck the people would mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So how about you just do the job? And spin the motherfucking record, bro. You know what I'm saying? But that's the shit that I don't really enjoy, you know. But I, but making music, creating music, taking dead air and making what the good book called Joyful Noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That Like, you know, I enjoy that process. You started off by saying that phone call was, was destiny. I think that in the universe, in various walks of life, there's divine intervention. Mm. And, you know, when I think about me being a kid from Philly, coming to Atlanta and being a part of Southern hip hop history, trap music history, our collaboration, what we accomplished together is, you know, it's, I I thank you. You know, I I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for you. I appreciate this time, this opportunity. And it's like, I think about what you've accomplished, what I've accomplished and what we accomplished together. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a storybook. Man, we move so much, you know what I'm saying? We move so much, got so much going on in our own individual lives, personally and professionally. But I ain't really had a chance to really sit back and actually like, just think about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I ain't really thought about it until you mentioned it. So, I mean, I appreciate it. I receive it. And I also, I reciprocate that with my appreciation for you and what you did to just push, drive, motivate, encourage, inspire, and just offer your art, you know, to me. I appreciate that. You know, man, shit, bro. Let you keep this dance going as long as the music is playing. Amen. Love. And like that, we gone. This has been an Audible Original, produced by Collabo Inc. Society, hosted by DJ Drama, featuring T.I., 
Executive produced by Kenya Barris, DJ Drama, Wheezy WTF, Layton Lakeshow Marson, Audible Executive Producer, Joshua Poole, produced by Roy Farrell, Kristen Alcala, Consulting Producer, Jamie Nelson. Production was engineered by Alex Anderson and WTF Media Studios. Sound design and mixing, Michael Bellavo. Edited by Alex Anderson of WTF Media Studios. Edited by Jamie Nelson. Written by Dustin Smith, F.A. Ilgai, and Damilare Sunoiki. Original music by Don Cannon. Researched by Dustin Smith. Talent booking by Marquetta Moore. Production lawyer, Eric Spiegelman. Production accountant, Kristen Johnson. Production assistants, Devin Kruger, Victoria Larte, Tiana Johnson. Head of Audible Studios, Zola Mashariki. Executive Vice President, Head of U.S. Content, Rachel Giazza. Copyright 2023 by Calabo Productions, Inc. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Audible Originals, LLC.